this podcast, Annie talks to Paul Gibbons, the CEO and founder of Decipher Consulting. Along with Dominic Mondino of Decipher's quantum team, they take a look at the first in a series of the corners of a claim with an introduction. What is a claim and why do we have them? This morning on the Decipher podcast, we're going to take a look at claims management with some of the quantum team. We've got Paul Gibbons and Dominic Mondino here this morning. So we're going to start off with an introduction to claims. Paul, come to you first. What is a claim? Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, thanks, Andy. Uh, well, what is a claim? Well, a claim uh, for me is an assertion of a party's rights under the terms of a contract or at law. And in our industry, in the construction industry, this cl- the claim would be usually for either additional time or additional payment, or it could, be, it could be for both time and payment. So I think, you know, from my perspective, it, it's a party's right. They sign up to contracts uh, which incorporate and include clauses that allow them to claim under the contract or the law. So that is the claim. It's often seen as a dirty word. Those in construction claims sometimes seen as almost ambulance chasers, a bit like those old adverts you get with no win, no fee and those kind of things. Why do you think this might be? Uh, it is seen as a dirty word, but then as I said in just previously, it's a claim for me. The co- people sign up to contracts that allow them to make a claim for changes to the original intentions of the, the, the original scope of works that they sign up to. And and for me, if they don't, if they're signing up to a contract, they are also signing up to changes to that contract, and those changes allow somebody to make a claim. I think it's seen as a dirty word because there's lots of uh, misinformed claims, there's lots of badly presented claims, and people just don't know how to deal with claims properly. And what I mean by that is, and I think we'll get onto that in this discussion, is uh, the presentation of the claims what they should include for. I think there's a lot of global claims. I think, obviously, the relationships with some clients, they don't like claims. We do a lot of work internationally as a business, and some of the some of our international clients don't like the word claims. But then equally, it's one party's right, as I've said. So, in my view, it's not seen as a dirty word. You have a right to claim for it, and, and that's what I suggest contractors and, employ- and subcontractors should be mindful of, and employers should be mindful of defending against. Dominic, your background is working with contractors. So how, how are claims seen by contractors? Um, uh, thanks, everyone. I'm Dominic, by the way. Um, so I've, I've had, obviously, hands-on experience for this. So in my in my past, I've, I've dealt with consultants that, that deal with claims when we've needed to. And I've also, probably more in more majority cases, I've tried to deal with the issue myself, whether that's negotiated or whether it's kind of dealt with away from you know, the sort of claims and the third party environment, if you like. I think from the contracting world, it, it sometimes the claims world is perceived as a, it can be an expensive and, and you know, a, a prolonged process. But I think, you know, the, the more uh, you, you get into the, the grit of the detail, the more you realise that actually you do need a, like a specialist team to come in and, and look at the detail. I think, I think what you'll find is the contractor will sometimes think, oh, I can deal, I can deal with this myself through my own, my own resource. But what you'll find is that they've not really got the expertise or they've not got the experience within the team to, to deal with it properly. And when I say properly, I mean, you know, fully understanding the contract, you know, the issues, looking at the cause and effects. I just sometimes think it, it has got this, um, this feeling that in the, in the world of main contracts that sometimes it, 
it can be expensive and, and prolonged. But at the same time, I just think it's a really useful uh, tool. It's a really, it's a really particular set of tools and expertise, and I think it's it's needed as well. Do you think that perception that claims might be expensive or, or difficult to prepare is what puts people off, or or is it the the idea that it's a bad thing to do? Well, no, I definitely don't think it's a bad thing to do. I think it's just, it's more in the contracting world, you know, your first point of call is let's try and deal with it ourselves. Um, you know, let's look at um, within the team we've got, can we can we take the factors into account, whatever the issue might be, can we try and look at the contract ourselves? Can we look at the issue ourselves, look at the cause, look at the potential effects and try and agree it ourselves? I think it's, you know, in some, in, in a lot of instances, it's just trying to deal with it. It's not necessarily thinking that, it's a it's a bad world the claims world it's just more thinking let's try and initially try and deal with it ourselves and then like I said like I say you're getting to scenarios where you just can't possibly do it you've not got the expertise you've not got the experience you've not got the time so that's that's when you would think right we need to call someone in who who, who who's specialist in that field and, and let them deal with it really that's my understanding and I think and I think just picking up on what Dominic was saying there obviously these it's quite right you know in when I was when I had my contracting hat on before Decipher, uh, and, and indeed representing contractors now as Decipher, there is always the first basis but for the contracting team or the subcontracting team to try and go it alone and to try and present their claims as they see it. But unfortunately, what we see is badly presented claims, which don't have the substance behind them, uh, but moreover, they haven't been notified properly. And that really is where we have a really big issue in our industry, where there's a, there's a lack of understanding of what the contracts say the parties must do before they can start to consider making a claim. So sometimes some of, the, some of our uh, clients, their own site teams haven't administered the works properly. And therefore that then causes them issues in trying to make a valid claim. But once we've got past that notification piece uh, and the, our clients are able to make a claim then it's how do they go about making that claim i have been uh, involved with many many projects where there are global extensions of time assessments there are global um, disruption claims presented and acceleration claims without any kind of entitlement without any kind of substantiation to it and there's no linkage between the cause and effect which we'll come on to later on in this discussion i guess and, and what that unfortunately does is it makes the the contractor who's delivering that claim it's make, makes their position very difficult when they come to discuss a credible claim with the employer because at the end of the day what we always say to our clients is put your mo your most robust claim together that allows you to negotiate really strongly and once you've been able to negotiate really strongly you can then go back to the client and, and hopefully get a win-win solution on both sides. But in the event that you don't, you can then fall back on a robust claim position and possibly take that to an, AD, an ADR, uh, alternative, alternative dispute resolution methodology, if that's required. But as Dominic says, yes, try and do it in-house, but recognise your own weaknesses and buy that support in. I think a good point to add to that as well, Paul, is obviously definitely right in what, what you've said there, but I think your fan contractors will... They'll think, they'll think, have that mindset. They'll think, let's try and deal with it ourselves. Let's put 
kind of a claim together that they feel is is fully credible but in fact it probably isn't as comprehensive as it should be and then what they'll do is they'll pursue it and they'll get to a point where it is it is kind of um at a stage where they need to get someone like a claims consultant in who, who are more expert in that field and they'll they'll you know they'll, they'll waste time if you like in in doing all that work and, and delaying the process just to get to a point and say actually i think we need claims a professional claims person to come in now and, and take it from there and then it's probably a bigger job then for the claims person because obviously they've taken something on when they should have actually took it on uh, when when they got asked initially but obviously the contractors tried to to do something with it and you you'll find it's not as comprehensive as it should have been but it could have been if the claims guy got in soon enough yeah that's quite a common perception in this industry that people try to save money at the you know and then when the problems happen it costs them far more to uh, to fix them in your answer to that last question you talked about global claims are they something that is still quite common in the industry there's a lot of advice against putting together global claims and lumping everything together but do you still see them quite often we do in the context of um they have been in my in my view from my experience they've been badly presented and developed from first principles and what i mean by that is when, when I look at an extension of time claim and when I'm presented with an extension of time claim, and I was presented with one um, this week uh, with one of our international clients, whereby they um, seem to have taken a view that their, um, their extension of time is added on to the end of the job, which is fine in terms of the time for completion being extended. But what, but what they then also did is they said, or they've been inferred to us that they believe that their, prolong- their prolongation costs should be calculated at the end of the job. Um, well, that isn't necessarily the case because that delay that's been incurred has been incurred throughout the process of the project through various um, you know, months and, and windows, as we call it. And what one should be doing is allocating and determining the cost of that delay at the time it was being incurred, not at the end of the job. And a lot of people still fall into that trap and I guess, why is that? Um, some of our clients um, w- within their own organization, some of the skill sets aren't there, the knowledge isn't there in terms of how to construct the claim properly. And we are trying to educate them and, and, and upskill their team to do so. I'm a great believer uh, with my uh, claims hat on, as it were, to try and educate. And there's lots of good material out there. There's lots of good th- um, books out there that allow people to understand what this looks like but obviously putting it into practice is, is, is something different. And to allow all that to happen, of course, you need, the, you need the records to do so and to accurately record when costs were incurred and when time was being suffered. And without all of these things, it makes one's claim very global. Um, now, it may well be that uh, you, know, you, might get a, uh, you might get a very uh, unknowledgeable employer who does accept a global position but one, if that relationship was to fall apart and the employer decided to take, take the matter to, say, some kind of formal litigation, you can bet your bottom dollar that the employer would engage an expert who understood delay and or quantum, and they would perhaps ride very much roughshod over the global claims position and therefore you know, blow, blow the contractor's claim out of the water and then the negotiations that go with it out of the water. So... My view has always been present your best case on the claim, get rid of any culpability on behalf of the contractor. Don't, it's not all, it's not all one way traffic. Get rid of any culpability, show that uh, in terms of the claim submission 
and then robustly defend and support one's claim to, to allow the contractor or the subcontractor or whoever it may well be to have a really good, strong discussion around settlement on the basis of the claim and the merits of that claim. So that's my view on that. Recently, I've been I've worked on a, a global um, claim in terms of a thickening claim, and it was the contractor who was looking at recovering. Uh, basically, they've lost money in prelims over a period of time, and um, so they they took the view that you know we just take our uh, tender position, look at our actual costs over that period, and we just go for the full entitlement. And then my sort of query to them was, um, you know, on what basis are you asking? For that and what what level of detail and what level of substantiation have you got to defend that and that's where they started sort of scratching their head so i think i think just to highlight what paul said i think it's you know it's pretty it's obviously a good idea if you feel you've got the entitlement but it's not just about trying to recover losses on a say a prelim like my example i think you just need to factor in the focusing on on the on the real reasons and and what's happened and why um, because you know in instances you'll find that they've probably priced the project wrong you know they've probably caused their own issues and, and you know they've lost money themselves because of their own inefficiencies and you know for you to go put that into a claim and submit it all it takes is someone on the other side as Paul said to be a lot you know really on the ball do a, do a thorough delay analysis and a, a fuller quantum review and come back and say actually you know you, you, you're the cause of your own delays um, so I think my point is you just need to be very clear and concise about you know what you're asking for if you do put a, a former global claim in and be very particular about what what documents you've got and what information and what records you've got to to substantiate it and finally should we be avoiding claims are they just an inevitable part of the construction industry and are they something we just have to learn to do better from my perspective parties should not avoid claims construction by its very nature means that there's always going to be a claim because you can never you can never fully uh, understand what the the scope of work is going to be from the get go. One would like to think construction projects don't change in size, nature, specification, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we know life isn't like that, which is why parties should try and develop a robust starting position, i.e., the contract sum, the contract program, the contract scope. But things happen. COVID happens. You know, it's happened. Nobody could, could have foreseen that. And there's claims that flow out of that under specific uh, contracts that allow entitlement to flow in certain guises. But similarly, you know, specifications will change. You know, you might come across antiquities or fossils on the project, you know, which weren't known about. They need to be dealt with. And, and each of the standard forms of contract deal with claims, deal with one's entitlement to claim at their, their own entitlement and a claim can be you know a claim can be for variation it can be a claim for an extension of time it can be a claim for loss and expense it can be a claim for disruption a claim for acceleration these are all the different types of claims which in our own industry unfortunately we cannot get away from but for me the key is how do we make it that those claims are credible they're presented robustly and it allows the parties to negotiate the strengths and weaknesses of each position for resolution. Now, the lawyers who might be listening to this, um, you know, what, what, might be, what might be saying this in so much as, you know, we, ADR is very costly. And ultimately, it, it, it ties up lots of time, times up lots of experts, lots of professionals, lots of lawyers, lots of fees, 
inevitably, the project teams on the projects that I've been involved with, the project teams are disbanding or disbanded, they've gone on to other projects. And we, we normally get parachuting at the end of projects and we're trying to build the jigsaw back together again. And it's incredibly difficult to do so when people are just wanting to get onto another job. They don't want the headache of looking back over time from many, many years ago, months ago, whatever it may well be. Um, so for me, don't avoid the claim. You have an entitlement to claim it properly, but do it properly and, and deal with the claim progressively. And this is what the NEC tries to do within, in terms of the compensation event assessment. It tries to forecast the effects of claims. It calls it compensation events. Uh, and it deals with time and money progressively in a, in a progressive manner. So it doesn't wait to the end of the job and, and, and there's a big fallout. It tries to deal with it between the parties as the project's running by. So I think uh, the claims are here to stay, but I think we've got to get better as an industry in, in presenting those claims and substantiating them. I agree. I agree with what Paul said. I think from my experience in, in the contracting world, um, there is always claims. I don't think there's a project to really worked on where there's not some form of claim, albeit in majority of cases, it's, it's, it is agreed amicably and it's agreed um, or negotiated, if you like. Um, but you, you're all, you tend to, whether it's a programme delay or an extension of time, which is more of the, more of the common ones, um, whether you know it's a client impediment or a force majeure item, there's always generally always something on on a project where, that brings rise to a claim. Um, but I honestly believe that they shouldn't be avoided. I think I think definitely if there is a dispute on a project, there is there is something that one party feels stronger than the other one. I do I do feel that um, claims should be pursued and and the fair outcome should be um, the ultimate result. And I think I think just to add to that. Well, one thing that we do is we tell people, our clients, when they haven't got a claim. And sometimes that comes as a, as a, as a surprise to them because their own site team have been saying, you know, we've got a claim, we've got entitlement, this, that and the other. And once we've looked at information, we would go back and say, well, actually, you don't have a claim because you haven't notified properly. You don't have the records. So wouldn't even start trying to create the records for events that have happened many months ago. Um, and therefore, you know, we're not magicians at the end of the day. You know, we are professional consultants that are able to technically develop one's entitlement based upon the information we have before us. But what we can't do is, you know, we cannot work on you know, magic and we cannot create a claim if one doesn't exist. And, and indeed, the parties haven't worked to the, to the contract accordingly. So... I've had some prickly discussions in the past with some of our clients where they say, but oh, my site team has told me we've got a claim. And once I've led them through by the hand, took them by the hand and led them through the submissions and what, what the contract says and the pros and cons of what they've done, they thank me, A, not for wasting any of my time in, in fees and trying to support something that can't be supported, but also B, in identifying where their own team needs to be educated and where perhaps they need to have a take a different uh, tactic with regards to resolving the matters with their employer, their client, ultimate client. So I think it's a, a bit of transparency, openness, honesty. And I think if that can be happening more so, then all the better. So I think the takeaway points from today's session is that the claims are here to stay. But if you do need to prepare a claim, get some good advice at the start as early as you can. Prepare those claims effectively and make sure you substantiate them.
and substantiation is something we're going to come on to in one of our later podcasts so for now thanks guys and we'll see you on the next one Thank you for listening to the Decipher podcast. As always, we've tried to ensure the accuracy of everything in the cast at the time of recording. However, no reliance should be placed on it and Decipher Consulting take no responsibility for any omissions. We hope you'll tune in again soon and thank you for listening. 